0: Welcome to the Aston Martin Heritage Trust podcast. Welcome back to the Aston Martin Heritage Trust podcast. My name is Gary Taylor. I'm currently flying solo, but don't worry, it's not just going to be me waffling on throughout the episode, for we have guests. We have Guy Jenner, the CEO from HWM Aston Martin, the world's oldest Aston Martin dealer, and Steve Waddingham, the historian from Aston Martin Lagonda themselves we went to the showroom at Wharton-on-Thames and we talked about the Newport Pagnell uh, V8s and they had a lovely Le Mans V8 in the showroom and we talked about the end of the era, the cars, the people and the stories. I hope you enjoy it and here it is. Here we are, HWM and Steve and Guy, uh, welcome, nice to see you again.
1: Yeah, nice to see you Gary, good to be back. Thanks Gary, good to find an excuse to get together as we have today. Yes it is
0: and the excuse is that we are going to be talking about the end of the, well it's the end of the V8 era at uh, Newport Pagnell and we're going to be talking uh, primarily about uh, the V600 car and Le Mans and other derivatives but... uh, We have a V600 in front of us. Now, pictures of this will be uh, on our website, astonmartinheritage.com, so you can actually see what the car we are talking about. So, uh, Guy and Steve, the V600 wasn't necessarily a model in its own right, was it?
2: No, originally the V600 package for for the Vantage was developed by what was known as Aston Martin Work Service and the idea was it was an aftermarket upgrade that could be applied to either a brand new car when you ordered it or if you had an existing um, 550 brake horsepower Vantage, a supercharged car, then you could bring it back in and have it upgraded to V600 and in reality that's what happened. It was a mixture of upgraded cars and then brand new cars being ordered as a V600.
0: So, if you've had your your car converted, it will be it would have a designation of being a V six hundred car. Why why six hundred? Well, six
2: hundred brake horsepower. So the idea was it was taken from five fifty up to six hundred, and if, if I remember rightly, it was six hundred pounds per foot of torque. Yeah, right. yeah six hundred. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah, Yeah. So you've got fifty of extra of, of torque and uh, BHP, but it was also more than just the engine. You had to have the brakes and the suspension upgraded as well because you couldn't just put an extra 50 horsepower in the car without compensating for that so the brakes had to be upgraded and then the the amount of um, power that the brakes had meant you had to upgrade the suspension otherwise the car would dive into the ground so that had to be upgraded as well Um, and there were other smaller things that came with it which basically as a package you know you would get the whole lot applied to
1: a car Um, do you think this is a good time for us to pop the bonnet and have a look yeah definitely underneath yeah because well, yeah, well, okay. it's quite a sight
2: isn't it really um, so yeah this was a something that became you know very much revered really amongst enthusiasts and owners of these cars um, and some of the cars had the little works badge applied to them as well
0: oh right yes i remember like the a, badge that the cars that were
2: converted Just so the readers and listeners at home can keep up with us, we open the bonnet, there's a a little tip, if you ever have to open a bonnet on one of these, you you pull the catch from inside the car and the bonnet lifts upwards just at the base of the windscreen and then you have to find the catch and what I learnt was that if you find the wiper arm, the catch is just in front of the wiper arm on the driver's side, if it's a right hand drive car, so once you find the spine of the, the wiper arm, push your hand underneath the bonnet and you'll find the catch. (laughs) <laughs> I also remember that from my days on the motor show stand
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: As everybody watches you, kind of open the bonnet, you know, fumbling. Uh,
0: lessons in opening a bonnet on a, on, on a V8. So here we are. just this, this is looking. Well, it's looking very uh, simplistic under there, isn't it? But I think the the thing that comes to mind is these two beautiful, uh, well, superchargers. Yeah, so you got the
2: superchargers, which were there anyway uh, on the 550. But what's really striking is when you lift the bonnet, it actually looks quite modern. There's plastic panels either side, which was more akin to what you saw on the on the DB7 at the same era. Yes. So it kind of made this car look more grown up looking because the other cars were, you could see the crackle black under, you know, the under seal type paint that was underneath the bonnet on these V8s. And um, yeah, they looked a bit old fashioned back in the day, but the V600 with this with these panels on it made it look a lot more modern and also a big proper piece of carbon fiber on top of the um the cam covers there which probably was the first time we'd ever used carbon fiber on a road car um an aston martin and just a theater of it with the gold v600 lettering on either side and a
1: huge great big plaque on the front to say who built the engine so yeah overall it's a really neat um engine bay but it, it's dramatic, and I, I just love the fact that these two superchargers just dominate your eyeline. So, you know, you know this car means business. And it, it's interesting that Aston Martin chose to supercharge. Um, particularly for this era, turbocharging probably wasn't quite what it is today. Um, turbocharged cars were known for their lag. Whilst supercharging, it runs directly off the crankshaft, and you get instant response from idle right up to the red line so it has a number of benefits it it makes it very progressive to drive so the power builds smoothly through the rev range you get no delay when you put your foot down so you get that instant punch when you want to overtake and it's actually kinder on the engine because you don't get this sudden step on in power it gradually builds up um, in a natural way it just makes the car very drivable so um yeah I mean I, I love that plus there's there's kind of a unique noise to a supercharger as you hear it whine away and uh, and boosting the engine so um yeah I I think it's a lovely era of engine this and the end of um, the Tadek Merrick V8 yeah
2: yeah absolutely I
1: mean the engine you know, hearts
2: back to the sort of mid-60s when the, when the, the engineering yes, and design it of it started.
0: Yeah, it started as, as, a, as a racing engine. Yeah? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. and then it kind of um, ended up in these cars. And you can see on that big, massive plate there, it's got Roy Robarts, and that's the engine builder's name. So he was the guy that built the 5.3, 550-horsepower engine that this car started off with mm-hmm. on one side of the Tickford Street. Yeah. And then when the car was inspected, signed off, fully polished, would drive over the road into the workshop in work service, up come the bonnet and everything came back out the car, engine included.
0: So the the car was built as a, in this case, this is a a V8 Le Mans, Uh, they completed the car, it was all ready, but to do the conversion, they wheeled it over the other side to work service.
2: Yes, yeah, so the engine came out and then the guy that then rebuilt this engine, this guy called Ray Brown, Ray built all of these, I think all all bar one car, he built or did the conversion to V600. Um, so he would have rebuilt this engine as a V600, but Roy, the original engine builder's name, remained on the car. Now, Roy had spent 60 hours building the engine initially, so it was about 60 hours to build and test the engines.
0: Did did he have to dismantle it and rebuild it?
2: Yeah. Yeah, basically. Uh, yeah. I the think only well, way around, the only loophole there was to yeah. get around this, to do this as an aftermarket conversion, because otherwise we'd have to have crash-tested cars and, you know, the development to, to, to build a... A car for production would have involved all that sort of stuff so the way round it was to do it as an aftermarket upgrade so the car had to be kind of delivered inverted commas before yes. it could then be now it was a paperwork exercise in reality but it was it meant that a lovely polished car would come across the road and if it had bodywork done to it which not this car but other cars did then out would come the tin snips and would cut off all this lovely shiny painted body and put different wheel arches on and this was like more the 6.3 cars or stretch cars or estate cars and they were brand new cars, they weren't in, delivered in primer, they were delivered polished, in, inspected, you know, lovely looking car but then they would have been ripped apart
0: what did what did the engine builders and 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 the uh, body builders if you like what did they think that they knew their car was going to be ripped apart again when it was just going to be taken over the road or that was just how it was yeah just how it
2: was I mean actually all of us were quite pleased because it meant that we were going to get some more money because <laughs> it was more sales you know so nobody ever got gone a teary eyed over it it was just part of life and
1: yes it was a shame but it's just what you had to do you know I was going to say, I, I, I've got the original bill of sale for this car here, and the cost of having the 600, um, V600 power upgrade was £12,102. That's just for the uh, the power upgrade. And, and, and what year is that? So that's 1999.
0: So 1999, 12000 just
1: for the engine upgrade. Just for the engine upgrade, yeah. So interesting, whilst we're talking options and pricing, because it, 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 it is nice to know what these sorts of things cost – We can talk about some other options on the car, and I'll just list out what this um, Le Mans Edition had. It had the V600 Super Sport Exhaust System, that was £3,348. It had a traction control system, so an early traction control system. You can see the button in the cabin to switch that on and off. So amazingly, you you could order your 600 brake horsepower, 600 foot-pounds of torque, v600 without traction control
2: <laughs> and it didn't well, work d- well d- even d- if d- you d- put d- it on anyways
0: so. <laughs> was, was it a token button was it well, yeah
1: you could easily override it
2: so did aston martin make the superchargers because no. i notice here that the actual throttle bodies are
0: yeah have lower, f- the aston Martin. yeah models. they were made for us Eaton. yeah, yeah. Specifically for Aston Martin. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we just noticed there's like a, well, it's, a, uh, it's a, a forged Aston Martin badge on the on the supercharger itself. It's not a sticker by any stretch, and it, it does actually look rather, rather delicious actually, yeah. a, a nice touch. So, Guy, yes, you were saying. So we got the uh, we got a token uh, um, button. to Trashing the traction, system. Traction control system. Okay. Yes. And that, and that token button costs nearly three thousand pounds.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, there's a sound system upgrade on this car so that was £1,962 but I think the most interesting option was as standard it came with a six-speed gearbox and the gearing on these cars was just staggering in as much as you could cruise along at 100 miles an hour and you'd be doing 2000-ish rpm I'm just barely ticking over as an engine but there was an option to have a five-speed gearbox and it's got this silver knurled ball gear change, which is um, really nice in the hand, really nice to use. It sort of shortened as well to make the shift quicker. Um, and the idea was this made it a bit more driver-focused driver, driver focused and more evolving as gearboxes go. I don't, don't know whether you... Have you driven both, Steve? Yeah, I've, I've driven five and six speeds,
2: and also also the automatic. We did some automatic conversions, which were, you know... How many gears on the automatic, I think? Oh, I'm not sure if they were three or four I think yeah, they probably four yeah. speed I think but they, they were also an aftermarket conversion that were done yeah. so I was very lucky I, I did a stint in the heritage workshops of work service as it used to be and, uh, and in that time drove all the different types really so and they all they're all different you could get in you get in one of these and it would drive it would mold itself around the owner so if the owner gave it a good thrashing every time you drove it the car would drive quicker than a car that had been potted around in so we had a german customer with a, with a v600 and this thing was i swear to god one of the fastest cars i've ever driven <laughs> and it was so fast because it just went everywhere flat out on the autobahn <laughs> legally which it could do yeah. and it was just one of the best cars ever but yeah, equally i remember driving an auto back one day and it felt quite sluggish because you know the chap who owned it was an older fellow and potted around in it and you know so they could really kind of as, as the cars bedded in they would bed in around the side of how they were being driven so each one of these cars is just very slightly different from the next and that's what makes them fun i mean that's just that the after would finish building it i mean they were different from each other anyway because they were handmade yes, yes. cars and a, each wing of, of this or each each wing on the car would take 40 hours to make It'd be made by a different person mm-hmm. who's making the one on the other side Hundreds and hundreds of hours to join all the panels together, hundreds of hours to paint them. And in in total, I think the build time for one of these was probably in reality somewhere between three to four months before the conversion. So by the time it then went to get converted, you had to add that on as well. So they were like building. They were like building yachts, I mean, you know, you could come and visit them at different stages of the build.
1: Great. Uh, so this would have been Steve Bolton that would have worked on yeah, the engineering, the engineering. Oh, Yeah, Steve's a,
2: a well-known name, name in, in the sort of old Newport Paglore era of, of Aston Martin. And right away up until Gaydon, Steve left a couple of years ago, actually. Um, and Steve and Ray were good friends. I mean, Ray, you uh, won't mind me saying so, but you know, was kind of... You know, grew up with Steve is almost like a mentor, really. They became lifelong friends and still are friends. We're all still friends. Um, yeah, so Steve was a genius at, at chassis engineering and, and, and you know, the the, the nitty gritty kind of stuff, if you like. And of course, this is in an era when, when the engineering department was less than 25 people, you know, no more than 25 people, whereas now it would be 500 people in engineering. But back in those days, engineering was tiny and um and there weren't there was no design studio yeah. you know things were very very sort of basic but but really well done because they had really good people working on them
1: sometimes a a, a constraint on budgets and facilities can cause people to be even more creative yeah. yes. um, and, and making the most out of out of what they've got yeah and, yeah. and this is probably a, a great example of that it's incredible yeah. what was created yeah. and this really represents the end of an era in terms of fully coach built bodies would yeah. that be fair i mean
2: there was this was in the what was building up to the end of the the v cars as we called them in 2000 and the very last the last hurrah really was to do what we'd always said we couldn't do which was to build some vantage Valantes. Mm. so these were cars we'd always try to avoid building but in the end we plucked up the courage and beefed up the chassis and we built eight short wheelbase um vantage Valantes. Um, of which one
1: long wheel base yeah,
2: one long wheel base. Uh, yeah exactly yeah, yeah yeah one long wheelbase one as well so and those were the very last cars and the, the recollection i have is by the time they were being built i was training on vanquish to get ready to do the vanquish factory tours yes and i remember going over to to, to see the the cars in the factory and there was this really weird thing whether these cars were, were being finished off in the old part of the factory,
0: it's so these cars, the the V six hundreds and yes, the Le Mans,
2: the V eight cars, yeah, car, yeah, exactly. And the factory in those days was quite dark, and you know the paint was a bit flaky, and <laughs> the lighting was very yellowy. So these cars were being worked on by the people that had made them all their lives, yeah. and then a few feet behind them, there were painters, decorators following with big brooms and brushes and painted everything gray and white and changing the light fittings to bright sort of nat- you know natural type daylight light bulbs that we have nowadays and then behind those were the first vanquished kind of creeping up behind them so you've got a wave of the old cars coming and then all the new ones following you know a few meters behind them almost and it, it was just incredible to see the, the change literally in front of your eyes sweeping through the factory and the light bright getting brighter and brighter as you further into it you went I'm not kidding it you know were things like there were still wartime telephones you know with a little handle on the side there were great big tannoy trumpet things that were the yeah, all this stuff was being gradually taken away and being replaced by the new things and the buckets suddenly had Aston Martin written on them instead of just a bucket to catch the water you know so even a has got an upgrade really but but it was just you, you could see it and you could hear it coming you could see physically an era change and some of the people working on these cars this were these were their last cars they were they were going at the end of it they they'd they'd agreed a a pay deal for people to leave and they were all taking early retirement so some people left other people were retraining to do the vanquish and they that included some of the panel beaters so they were bonding cars together rather than welding cars together but even on a vanquish the 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 panels are are still hand-finished so there was an element of hand finishing on the vanquish and that's why the vanquish is unique as well because it's the only modern era car to have handmade aluminium panels on it that are then bonded onto the structure so that sort of let everybody down gently if you like yeah. and then of course the factory closed in 2007
0: at the end of yeah. all of that so yeah. we've talked about the the engine and the gearbox but it's not just about engine and gearboxes plenty of other features to keep it looking good and and safe and all the rest of it
1: what what other options did
0: they did they changes
1: did they do well I, i think it's probably a great time to open the door and have a look inside because for me one of the things that always attracted me to this era of car is the incredible seats the fact that this car was clearly built to blast you down to the south of france at high speed in serene comfort and these seats just dominate. If, if anybody's ever sat in um, uh, 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 this era of seat, they are—they're they, huge. They've got these colossal headrests. They've got this amazing control panel to be able to adjust to get the perfect seating position. But it, it, I, there's, it's probably one of the most comfortable seats I've ever sat in. I don't know whether you yeah. found the same, Steve. With absolutely, yeah.
2: One thing I always remember when I first joined Aston that fascinated me were these like sort of leather pillows that are on the headrest yes. you know and i remember as a kid seeing them on the v8 cars the previous generation cars and then and then they sort of made it onto the virage models as well but on this particular model they were there for a reason to stop you getting whiplash because when you accelerated your neck would get snapped back into the seat because of very very harsh delivery on these supercharged cars because it was just you know so ferocious nowadays it all be electronically Controlled, you know, you yes. can dial into a car how 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 snappy the acceleration is. But in those days, if this was up like brute force. This was metal, you know, engineering stuff doing its thing. And um, I once had a passenger with me, and I accelerated really quickly. And uh, in fact, it's my first wife, I, I might as well confess, and uh, <laughs> she almost got whiplash because she was looking out the window at the time I accelerated. <laughs> It's a shame in a way but uh, never mind um you know so it's quite amusing yeah
1: to 60 in 3.9 yeah. seconds which is just like staggering, staggering. I mean, it's like a stately home it's like blenheim palace yeah. doing 0-60 in 3.9 seconds you think about what competitors there were in the marketplace during this period really very little else offered anything like this performance with this level of comfort with rear seats a big boot so for proper touring it it was made for it even to the point where something that's really important to me is it's got a decent sized fuel tank I mean it needed it but you know (laughs) 23 gallons this holds 23 gallons so this would be well over 200 pounds to fill up
2: yeah probably two miles per gallon if you were getting on move you know if you're having a good time in one of these you'd single figure fuel consumption and and certainly into very very low numbers but um, but also just the it's easy to say a lever interior but every single thing in that car is covered in either leather wilton carpet or alcantara there isn't anything in there that's plastic everything is a is a fine material of some sort and it took a lot of cows to do that you know when you look at the craftsmanship of these cars and the door shut when you open a car door normally you normally look at the where the car where the door shuts into and it's you know it's not it's not normally the a part of the bodywork that looks particularly great but on these that they're they're, pol- they're actually polished they're, they're totally flat they're like a mirror and the same on the surface on the door that matches up to it it's like a mirror because they were spent hours and hours polishing to get that to look lovely and shiny and flap
1: there's lots of little details to drink in so whether it be machined pedals uh the big big thing the theater of the push start button which you know today we kind of take for granted in cars but i think
0: there. it started on the db7 faster martin didn't it the the push start
1: well they were
0: about the same this and the vantage
2: came out of the same motor show at geneva yeah. so vantage db7 and the the, the v8 vantage uh, Le Mans, both had the red button to start the engine with so yeah they're probably simultaneously developed but um, the the one thing that is a little bit of a hangover of the uh, of the era that these were built in is the steering wheel because in, in the middle of it is an airbag, you had to have an airbag on the driver's side the thing that finally killed these cars off really was you couldn't get a passenger airbag into the design of the car oh, really? so they, they only have a driver's side airbag um, and by the time the legislation changed that was partly the reason why we had to stop making them but the airbag that was in the um, in the car obviously cost a lot of money to develop and Aston Martin couldn't develop an airbag on its own so because we were owned by Ford we naturally went to Ford and said we need an airbag so the only vehicle that Ford made really that was big enough to supply a steering wheel to s- suit the car was the um well, basically, the the series of cars made in America that underpin the the Crown Victoria yellow taxi cabs yep. and the Lincoln limousines, because they were both developed off the same sort of platform. So the steering wheel is actually a a, a leather-trimmed Ford Vic Crown Victoria steering wheel, and the airbag you'll notice it's got a, a, a mysteriously oval-shaped badge yes, yes, with yes. an um, Aston Martin ring in the middle of it. and well, you'll, you'll never guess what may, no, may be lurking we, underneath that. Uh, we, we, <laughs> we, we, yeah, but yeah. that's, you know, these must, and that's how, we, that's how we did it, and nobody queried it at the time, that we had an oval-shaped badge with a, an Aston Martin symbol in the middle of it, because that meant you could buy the car. Yep. Without that airbag, you, we couldn't make them. So that was a legal requirement, you know.
1: It, it, it feels like it's an era of pretty heavy part sharing but actually you know I'm sitting in the cabin and it, it doesn't stand out does it you know you, you I, I think everything looks right um, it, unless you've got an eye for, 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 for part sharing so I yeah. it, 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 it just it, it feels so comfortable and luxurious in here and I think the critical bits are are perfect so the instrumentation's beautiful the way the gear lever is machined and the way the seats feel and the on-the-fly handbrake you know all of those critical touch points look incredible yeah and the map of Le Mans
2: so this car you're sat in is a Le Mans yes so it's got a little Michelin map isn't it tucked into the into the, the armrest the arm the arm arm of little torch yeah
1: Yeah. It's, yeah just yeah,
2: beautiful detail yeah so should the owner decide to drive the car to Le Mans he could
1: get his map out and drive there do you know what, I think we should have a look in the boot as well whilst we're here because um, let's have a look in the boot and it's, it's, it's clunked the store as well too, it? so it, it releases in the armrest which is now done. So we're now at the boot. So again, again, the detail all the way through the car um, shines through. So we're, we're looking in a huge boot. which you know This this would, you'd get several decent-sized suitcases in the back off. Um, but I love the little details, the fire extinguisher on the left-hand side, the recessed first aid kits. And then behind here we've got some there's a little panel at the back of the boot space
2: so we just just so say so the
1: listeners at home can hear what
2: we're doing there's a little black knob on each side of this little lever flap and you turn it and then you can pull the flap down and then that allows you access to a shelf that goes underneath the parcel shelf
0: and there's a toolkit and, uh, uh, and we are infection. talking a, a proper toolkit by the looks of it look it's beautiful look at that beautiful toolkit. Uh, detail. Kit. It's in, it's, in a, it's in a case, and it just slid out like a like a James Bond item, just a, a like a magic item that's hidden away, and out comes it. Look at that.
2: Yeah, towing eye, and a torch, sort of mag light, sort of torch there, and, um, and I think that's the wheel. That's actually the wheel uh, brace, isn't it? To get the wheel off with, so you've yes. got like a socket with a big bar in it to help persuade it to uh, to move, and a set of bulbs and fuses as
1: well. But the it's way amazing. that's packaged and, and and the way that it tidies behind that uh, that secret uh, compartment, secret compartment, it's just beautiful.
2: Yeah, really beautiful. And dress. the little brushes that, for the, again for the listener, there's a brush each side of where the where the boot hinges. They kind of go into like a brush to kind of make it nice and neat and tidy. Maybe we could put some bits on the website to show you that. But they're just kind of little engineering details that were. you know just not even seen on cars in that period because they probably would have had a different design of boot hinge but because of the way the car was made yes they tried to compensate to hide every little bit to make it look neat and tidy and the Wilton carpet again most cars would just have a piece of felt in those days thrown on the floor of a fiesta or something but these are proper Wilton carpet like you'd have in a house yes you know real top quality graded um, carpet all leather bound as well so it doesn't fray and one person would have trimmed or one one person would have sewed all the components for the interior so you'd have one person cutting all the leather out and then one person machining up the entire car every every bit of machining would have been done by one person whereas nowadays at we'd have a team of people two people working together to to make the front seats or the back seats Um, but in those days we had one person doing the entire interior because of course there were less people; uh, it's a much smaller workforce back mm, then,
0: yeah.
2: and it would have taken hours and hours to trim one of these because of the fact that it was all all literally done by hand, and even the leather was cut out on a table. You know, with uh, would have if you can visualise a a hide of leather; it's the shape of a dead cow basically, and yeah. you'd lay it out flat and then they would mark out any, any kind of little marks in the skin and they would lay shapes onto the hide to try and get as much out of each hide as they could.
1: Like cookie cutters. Yeah, That's basically. The FCA, yeah. Yeah.
2: And then they would cut round with a big sharp um, pair of uh, shears or scissors and a, and a sharp knife. And then all those parts would then be given over to the machinists to then sew together. And all that was done by 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 hand and by eye whereas again nowadays we would bring a set of leather already pre-cuts from the tannery so the tannery do that for us and they use hydraulic presses to lay the hide out it's still got to mark it out by hand um but um but again it was more manual back then because we're just tiny volumes i mean if we had a really busy week I mean, we might have built two or three of these in one week it's the end of the era of these cars so no more than 100 a year of these cars being built of this type of car the v-car
0: was there still a demand for the V cars towards the end, or was it just legislated out?
2: No, there was demand. We had lots of, you know, repeat business back in those days. Customers that always had a new Vantage or, uh, you know, worked their way through the cars. Very loyal customers, and, and many of those people then went over to Vanquish. You know they they kind of finished off their car buying with us probably on vanquish and maybe maybe a bit after that depending on the age of the customer they tended to be older people because Mm. there's vast amount of money to buy one of these meant that you'd normally not only had a business but probably sold it and then retired early and and you were spending the money on on fine things like cars um so yeah so it was almost an end of an era for some of the customers as well as the the staff and the factory where the cars were being built
1: was there a sense that it, that kind of pulled in those people that recognised it was the end of an era, the last opportunity to own a car yeah. like that? Much like we've seen perhaps with VH, V12 Vantage, and yes. a, a current V12 Vantage exactly. is a good example, where people can just see it's the last m- moment, yeah. last opportunity to buy one.
2: Yeah, so there were
1: some of the people that bought those
2: very last cars were, were having one more car.
0: Yeah.
2: And then and there's one chap I remember had one of the short wheelbase Volantis and also ordered a Vanquish as well. You know, and he had both, and yeah. other cars as well, always the same colour.
0: Yeah.
2: And There'll be people listening to this that will know what I'm talking about, but again, no names. <laughs> um, and that was, yeah, it just that was the end of that era, really. But going into a new era that wasn't, it was just different, but yeah. not necessarily bad. Yeah. And the other thing I should say as well is the staff knew where they stood. Everybody knew there was a choice. You didn't have to leave. You could, You could leave if you wanted to, or you could retrain and carry on and a lot of people made that decision based on how old they were and if you were sort of mid 60s you probably would retire but some people I remember saying to me no I'm too young I want to stay around do the next car and you know and so everybody was happy there was no animosity everybody was building these cars with love because they knew at the end of it what they were going to be doing they were either leaving with a, with a windfall or they were staying to see a new era of car in and again with vanquished from the first car we ever built to the last we knew that would be the last car to be built in that factory yeah. and they were going to be even better than anything that we'd ever built before to, to show the world what that little factory was capable of building so yeah it kind of triggered that that what was coming next really the good era a very good era about this car is that being a being a, a lemon so it's got the dbr1 style um air vent on the on the on the front wing so if you look at the shape of that that's modeled on the, the dbr1 from 1959 yes, so, so bear in mind this car to celebrate 40 years of winning le mans the color for the car was originally shown as aston martin racing green and that was also a launch color for for db7 vantage so at geneva 1999 i think most of the cars on the sound were this were that color and there was a real dbr1 on there with them as well but then of course like like all other Astons you could have other colors if you wanted to so you could order it in black like this specific one is um, and also been a very late Vantage very late V car I'm just looking at it now noticing a few things that were only on the very last car so the door handles were were, were a later type of door handle the wing mirrors or sorry the door mirrors um, were, were redesigned to make them more aerodynamic um, And some of this was because the parts that we had been using were not were were kind of drying up. So the mirrors that were on the earlier version of this and the Virage and and on early DB7 were made by a French company, and they were those mirrors you would see on virtually every low volume car in that period: TVR, Marcus, Lotus. We all bought the same mirrors basically, and we bled them dry. There were none left. (laughs) So these later cars have got i won't say what they're off of but they're let's just say they're within the ford family of of cars and same with the door handles and i'm laughing because the door handles that they're off of the car that they're off of there's probably none left and they were and they were painted body color so they look slightly different anyway so even if anyone knew what they were at the time and maybe would point them out and say i can't believe it's got that door handle on it those cars are long gone. So most people wouldn't remember the car or the door handle. So it's quite funny, really. Time's a good healer. When you look at the old parts bin way of designing a car because the cars that were readily available to take these parts from have now become rarer than some of the cars that we built with the parts. So it's also got the later indicator marker lamp on the the repeater lamp on the wing. That's a, again, a later one. So just little things that give this car away has been a very, very late one. And while we're talking about lights, if you look at the front, it's got these rather strange um, glass covered headlamps. So you've got this big kind of curved glass on each side of the car with an orange heated rear window yeah. element built yeah. into it. So amazingly, we've sold these cars with heated headlamp glasses. So when, when the car started up, you'd get condensation. And, and the car would mist up from inside. The light would mist up inside. So they actually, like locate, a like a heated rear window on a car, they would clear the glass. It's a
1: really neat solution, isn't it? <laughs> and it,
2: again, it's design detail that yeah. just makes
1: the difference. Yeah,
2: yeah. And then behind them, you've got you've got three headlamps on each side of the car. So you've got high beam and low beam, etc. And on the very early cars, um, the 550 horsepower cars, they were square. But again, the company that made them, an Italian company, suddenly decided they weren't making them anymore. And the only other car that used them was an Alfa Romeo, which was a limited edition anyway. And that's it. Yeah. yeah. So we went around and bought every single Alfa Romeo headlamp we could find whilst doing an all-time buy and changing to the round lights, which all the production cars were then fitted with. But if you had an accident with an early car, you had to have all six headlamps changed because eventually we'd run out of the square ones. <laughs> yeah. So you would just literally put a whole you know set of six lamps on to um you know to be able to repair the car so all these little challenges that you get when you're a low volume car maker because some of the things you're using are are being used on low volume cars as well that probably have a shorter life than our cars do and also probably without any real thought about long term parts supply because they didn't expect the cars to live that long anyway so that's always part of the challenge for us really but yeah all these things when you look at them they're all there for a reason
1: and once we're at the front of the car, one of the things that dominates um, the eye line is that grille that is particular to the Le Mans.
0: It, it is very distinctive, isn't it?
1: It, it? It's distinctive. It's it's functional as well. And Steve, do you remember much about how the development occurred for for that?
2: Well, the, the first sketch for for the Vantage, when when the car was designed, featured in the first sketches the idea of having like nostrils on on the on either side of the uh, the grill so the grill being blanked out with a nostril lever side and the blanked out grill i guess would hark back to the sort of you know the the sort of 70s 80s vantage with a big blanked out grill yes. but then of course the car went into production and it had a, a a veined grill you know a slatted grill um and then when this car was being being engineered the v600 package for the le mans we wanted to make the car look different and somebody had this idea of of putting the nostrils back on to push the air through the grill mm-hmm. to help with the cooling yeah. but then somebody said well we need to let the air back out again because otherwise you're going to get turbulence building up under the bonnet and also create
1: lift yes, well, exactly, exactly, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we had to put the massive great big bonnet vent in above it to let the air back out again so the air would go through the nostrils Around the cooling, and then it would escape through the bonnet and across over the windscreen
1: into the slipstream of the uh, the rest of the the aerodynamics of the car, really. And that's actually a feature that's been consistent with our high performance cars kind of ever since, really.
2: Yeah, yeah. you see it on the on the cars that we build today, on some of the specials in particular, uh, on the V12 Vantage, for instance. Yeah. Um, but of course, all that back in those days was kind of theory that. You know we didn't have a wind tunnel we didn't even have a design studio we there were two guys that were credited with that idea of the letting the air in and out again and that was again steve bolton and, and sean rush who was a, a very very talented um body engineer and a very highly skilled panel beater sean even to this day still does uh, body body uh restorations and repairs amazing chap and those two guys between them sort of would have you know made this and tried it and put it onto the car so yeah it's a, again it's the end of the old old way of doing things before we we started to get more into a bigger department for engineering and access to you know sophisticated um uh, you know things like wind tunnels etc but but back in those days
1: engineering was 20 odd people you know it wasn't hundreds of people a wild guess and suggest that these modifications were made and then high speed stability testing was taking place i don't know maybe out on Uh, open roads even potentially yeah yeah. potentially (laughs) (laughs) for the v 600 development because of this the speeds that
2: these cars were doing we were using brunton aerodrome because of the the, they had a v bomber um runway which was long enough for a vulcan bomber to land on and so we thought it would be long enough for one of these to, to to go up to full speed and back down again so I think from memory the runway was over two miles long whereas if we went to Millbrook you've only got the mile straight and and I've driven on the mile straight you get up to about 150 or so and then you've got to start thinking about slowing down for the end of it so you couldn't do you couldn't in those days do 200 miles an hour at Millbrook on a mile straight I think even today you'd struggle so so we would took the cars to Bruntingthorpe and that's where they were they were being tested alongside a Vulcan bomber (laughs) that was being preserved at the time to fly and do you know and all that stuff so yeah so very much you know rudimentary what have we got available um, because the lack of
0: massive budgets to develop things in, in a different way you know how would you summarize and I come to Steve again and how would you summarize the the end of the era of the
1: uh, of the V8s uh, on, on this uh, on this scale well I, I, I think this is a special car it's a moment in time Um I mean, you 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 just can't rationalise why anybody would create a 600 brake horsepower supercharged monster yeah. that's um, that's two tons, but thank goodness there are people out there that love cars enough to want to do it, and and so you know I'm glad it exists, and I think it it's definitely sparked the passion for a certain era, um, an age of of car enthusiasts, and drew them to Aston Martin. So um, yeah, I, I for one am, I'm very glad that uh, it happened.
0: Steve can you uh, summarize this uh, end of the era? yeah I mean I,
2: I think for me my my everlasting memory would be would be what this really stood for I mean there's two things here you've got a V600 which is the kind of you know the last hurrah really of squeezing that last remaining horsepower out of the V8 uh, engine that had been around all those years and then of course the, the Le Mans celebration yeah. side of it through this being a Le Mans edition and Then also the fact that we all knew what was coming We knew that these were going to be the very last of these cars, but there was something equally exciting coming up behind them Which even if you relaunch vanquish again today Would make a lot of cars look out of date in terms of the way the cars constructed yeah. Yeah. You know bonded aluminium and carbon fiber in a structure, etc But of course that in itself paved the way for DB9 the VH cars that we built at Gaydon and St Athan. You know, going right away into DBX so that the bonded technology continues today through DBX and all the other cars that we build as well.
1: Yeah. You're listening to the Aston Martin Heritage
2: Podcast. <laughs> Discover more about the story of Aston Martin, the cars, the people, the history. With the Aston Martin Heritage Trust. You're always welcome to visit us at our museum in Oxfordshire. So find out more
1: via amht.org.uk.
0: I must thank Steve and Guy for their time, their enthusiasm, and the great stories behind the end of the era, the end of the Newport Pagnell V8s. I found it a great interest, and I hope you did as well. So that's it for this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to tune in for the next one, and I hope to uh, see you again next time. Thanks very much.